passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome back to the Believe Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brady Farkas. Joining me as always, co-pilot Aaron Wells. He'll be with us. We'll also be joined by author Jeff Benedict, who wrote the book The Dynasty about the Patriots came out in 2020. Really a great read, so I think you'll enjoy the talk with Jeff Benedict. The uh, Buccaneers have won the Super Bowl. Tom Brady and Gronk have won the Super Bowl. We'll get into our emotions on that as well. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. I'm also on Instagram now, so just search for me there, Brady Farkas. Aaron is on social media too, at 1013 Aaron WVT. The podcast is always brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the number one place in the internet world to get your responsible wagers in. And yeah, Football season's over, but that doesn't mean betting's over. Future bets, NBA bets, NHL bets, college basketball bets, March Madness bets, horse racing at some point, it doesn't matter. You can do it. Bet online, betonline.ag. Aaron to the podcast. What you're about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights from their six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now, it's your host, me, Brady Farkas. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back into the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, Aaron Wells is with me. Football season is officially over. Aaron, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good. Sad about football season being over, but other than that, I'm good. I'm just happy we got through football season. I mean, for a while, it looked like we weren't going to even have it or it was going to be compromised. And look, there was some COVID wonkiness to the season. We saw the, the Broncos play a game with the practice squad wide out at quarterback. We saw... uh you know, we saw um, the Ravens and Titans ravaged. We saw the Browns play a game without their head coach in the playoffs. It wasn't perfect, but it was a whole lot closer to perfect than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it was sort of surprising. I was expecting coming into the season that there would be games canceled and things would have to get moved around more. Uh, the fact that everybody played a complete season is pretty impressive uh, given the logistics of that. Uh, it's definitely unfortunate. It seems like there were definitely some teams whose uh, you know trajectories were affected by everything. I know. I think people expected more of the Ravens before they started having COVID issues, and Cam Newton looked better before COVID hit, um, which was definitely something that you know some people think affected the season. I don't know so much. I I'm not 100 percent certain on that, but all things considered, it worked out pretty well. I mean, I think you're right. The trajectory of some teams was thrown off. Teams that had first-year head coaches struggled. Teams that needed to install a lot of new things. I mean, if you take out Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland, the first-year head coaches were 16 games under 500, I believe. 
So, <laughs> I mean, first-year head coaches are inclined to struggle anyways because they've generally inherited bad teams. But um, I think that's worth noting that if you had to install a lot of things, your team generally struggled. The guy that didn't struggle with all of that was Tom Brady. Now, um, he goes to a new system in a new city. He's a you know new teammates, new head coach, doesn't get a traditional offseason. And he just keeps on rolling en route to his seventh Super Bowl championship. Bucks beat the Chiefs final score 31 to 9. As a Patriot fan, Aaron, are you upset or hurt to see Brady win not in Foxborough? No, I mean, he won six here and was a part of a dynasty that, if it is officially over, which I think a lot of people feel like it is, um, is still like twice as long as an unprecedented run would have been before the start of it. So I can't complain about that just because he went somewhere else and got one. I mean, <laughs> that would be kind of a, you know, pampered fan of me, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, but and, and I appreciate that you feel that because I've seen a lot of people that are bitter towards him. I, I'm really indifferent to it. I mean, I'm fine that he won. I think he was the greatest even if he had lost. The mm-hmm. thing I continue to marvel at is Tom Brady's discipline. Because we had Flutie on, you know, all season, and he said, "Look, I can get out of bed now and throw it sixty yards." Doug Flutie will always want to play on game day. Brett Favre, Drew Bledsoe, they all want to play on game day. None of them want to do the other things that go into it anymore at this age, from the the time away from family to the practice time to the recovery time to the training to the money then that Brady invests into his training and his body. The level of discipline. You'll, you'll find this out, Aaron. As you get older, you start to coast a lot more in life. And Tom Brady refuses to do that. And it, at 43, it amazes me that he is still willing to do all of the little things. It almost seems like he looks forward to doing the little things. Like he craves, prep, uh, craves working towards more success uh, in a way that makes it easier for him to then go get that success, which I think is rare. I think usually the stuff that the little stuff you have to do to get better is stuff that people choose to do because they want to get better, not because they want to do the little stuff. But he seems to enjoy everything about the process, and I think that's part of what makes him great. Did I send you the clip of Rodney Harrison? Rodney Harrison was talking on Tom yes. Curran's Patriots Talk podcast. Okay, let's hear what Harrison, Patriots Hall of Famer, had to say about Brady. A credit to his work ethic, his discipline, his mental toughness. No one works like Tom. No one has the discipline that Tom Brady has. Everyone talks about him being the GOAT on the field. Where in order to be the GOAT on the field, you have to be the GOAT off the field. There you go. You have to be the GOAT off the field. And what that extends to is your willingness to, again, do those little things. And once you have become established, once you've won titles, once you've got money, once you have a family, there's a lot of different things pulling at you or pulling you away from, it's easy to be young and hungry. It's easy to be motivated when you're fighting for a roster spot. It's a lot harder to be motivated when you have all these competing factors in your life that Brady does, and that is what I marvel at. And also, Aaron, the ability of him to be disciplined on the field. And what I mean by that is I can't remember who I was speaking to several weeks ago, but they said the thing that impresses me most about Brady is just his constant willingness to take what's there on the field. And we saw it in New England forever. He'll throw four-yard passes, six-yard passes, screen passes, dump-offs. Offensive coordinators and quarterbacks, they get impatient, and they want to hit the home run always. It's almost like they feel like, okay, 
we've thrown six dump offs in a row. We got to take a shot now. We got to take a shot now. And they all get they all get itchy trigger finger about that. Brady doesn't. The discipline extends to every part of his life and every part of his game. Well, and we're still seeing that when he's finally had the chance to be on an offense where he's allowed to let it fly in the Super Bowl. He sees that Leonard Fournette is on a roll and he keeps feeding him the ball instead of trying to go downfield or do anything else that might make Tom Brady look better because for Tom, it's, it's all about winning. I mean, he's one of those guys like a Larry Bird or a Michael Jordan who's just winning is the thing that he's in it for. Yeah, winning is what he's in it for and, and he's okay with doing it in whatever way possible. You know, and again, a lot of quarterbacks and coordinators, they want to make the, the flash play that does make them look good. But Brady is above that point right now. Um, so Brady wins. And now all the questions are is what does it mean for the Patriots? Mike Felger, longtime Boston radio host, he said this on his radio show earlier this week. Tough night for the Patriots. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> It's a tough night for the Patriots. How do you look at that and say they didn't want that guy? They don't. They didn't want that guy. They didn't want him. They they didn't want him for a couple of years. And you know, I say they didn't want him. You know, I'm guilty too. I was one of those who thought they were making the right call in doing what they did. But how do you have any other takeaway other than that? They didn't want that guy. So uh, I was actually wrong. That was on uh, post game of the Super Bowl. It wasn't on Felger's radio show. But uh, Aaron, I. I look at it differently. I, I think that Brady was deserved the opportunity to retire as a Patriot. I've said that a million times. I think he belonged in New England, whether they went ten and six, fourteen and two, or two and fourteen. I think he deserved the chance to retire as a New England Patriot. But I don't think that this makes the Patriots look as bad as Felger or a lot of other people do. Yeah, I think hindsight is twenty twenty to say that an organization should expect a quarterback Tom Brady's age to just not experience normal parts of the aging process is pretty unfair given that nobody has ever aged the way Tom Brady is right now. Uh, it's, I say, I know I've used this word a lot, but everything Tom Brady's doing is unprecedented, including the way he's aging. And I don't think you can expect the Patriots to have seen that coming, even with as great as he's been everyone's supposed to drop off eventually and Brady is well past the normal due date. You just need to understand that it's an apples and oranges situation right now between what was in Tampa and what was in Foxborough. Yep. And the Buccaneers have more weapons. Brady was never going to have Mike Evans or Chris Godwin or three tight ends. He was never going to have that. So Brady, and look, there's not, this is not a slight at Brady and it's not bad. Every quarterback needs help. There is no award that people seem to think for just being a lone wolf out there. I mean, we're all talking about Matthew Stafford. Well, he's going to be great in the Rams. Why? Because he's got so much help now. Like, every quarterback needs help. The Patriots with Brady would have had even less money available. They would have had zero cap dollars, essentially, if Brady was there. So the team would have been even more hamstrung than it was monetarily. And the team already wasn't looking very good on offense. So Brady might have been good, but... Overall, the team wouldn't have been as good. I, Brady threw 50 touchdowns and 15 picks in Tampa. If he's here this year, I think we're a lot closer to 24 and 13. Like I, I don't, you know, I think they're a lot more conservative. He doesn't have a chance to do a lot. It's an apples and oranges comparison to me. Yeah, you're talking about a sport where between 30 and 40 players are going to see real field time in a season, depending on injury 
in different sets and stuff. So a quarterback is going to need help no matter how great they are. And Brady was not going to get it in New England. We, if we had had Tom Brady, we would have been a better team, I think. But a team that can get by the Ravens in the playoffs or the Titans in the playoffs or the Bills in the playoffs or the Chiefs or even get to the playoffs, I don't think so. The thing I'm most fascinated about, the thing I think is the fairest question here is do the opt-out players opt out if Tom Brady is still there? Because how would their perceptions have changed? Now, they all opted out for personal reasons. Some of them were about to be first-time fathers. Marcus Cannon had a prior health condition. So it's completely understandable why they opted out. But if Brady is there, do they still think they're a championship contender? Is Brady hard to say no to? And if they're back, how does that change the Patriots' season? Well, I think that last part is probably the biggest factor, is having Tom Brady there, he's hard to say no to because he's that locker room leader. I mean, you've got that guy. It would be hard not to feel like you have a chance to compete. and It'd be hard to say no to another season with the greatest quarterback to ever play. So I, I would not be surprised if Dante Hightower had chosen not to opt out if we had signed Tom Brady. Uh, I still don't think having those guys would have necessarily put us in a position to go deep in the playoffs. Maybe it's the difference between making the playoffs and not, but I, this team was more than just a quarterback in a defensive player away. Um, they were. I think what's interesting is that if the defense, if Hightower's there, Chung is there, you know, more turnovers forced, maybe more short yeah. fields given, more possessions overall. I think the team could be better, but again, I still think the Patriots were old and slow on defense. So it's yeah. not like you know, you know, last year at the end of the season they didn't look good on defense either, and they got run all over by Baltimore, and they got beaten by Tennessee, and they were, you know, they went four and five down the stretch last year. One of the things that people forget about as well um, is Hightower is not the only defensive player who we lost, and. Uh, those two linebackers that ended up going to Miami, Van Noy and uh, Roberts, they weren't necessarily, you know, super high caliber athletes, but they understood the system and they played well in it. And to lose them and have to replace them with rookies, plus having to play without Dante Hightower was super destructive for that defense. So I don't know if getting one guy back when you lost really what's more like three or four it would have made us look any less old and slow. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you lose Collins and Shelton and, and Deron yeah. Harmon. So you did lose a lot there as well. You know, I think the biggest indictment of Belichick, by the way, is not what happened with with Tom Brady. I think it's what happened with Gronk. Did you hear what Gronk said after the game on Sunday, after Super Bowl Sunday, about coming out of retirement? Did you hear this clip? Uh, I did, that he was basically uh, – well, do you want to play it? Yeah, play it. It was kind of a series of, of conversations. It wasn't anything like, hey, Rob, I, I want you to come back, like come to Tampa with me. It, it was it was over a little bit of, of time, and then free agency hit, and I was sitting there like watching like, ah, you know, he told me he's going to he's gonna go down to Tampa or, or to another team. And he hit me up, and he's like, yo, would you, would you come down? And I was like, I was, you know, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to make a move. I've been waiting for you to make a move. And that can mean one of two things. Either he was waiting for him physically to just go to a new location so we could see where he's at. Or he was waiting for 
Brady to get established and then come get Gronk. And I took it as the latter. And I took it as Gronk would have come out of retirement to play with Brady anywhere but New England. And I think that is a bigger indictment of Bill Belichick than anything we saw with Brady. Did you read it that way? Oh, I think it was he would have gone to play anywhere with Tom Brady, maybe including New England if Tom pursued him hard enough. I mean, I I don't know, but uh, it doesn't shock me, and I don't see it totally as an indictment of Bill Belichick because I think when you're a a skill position player who's had a really long run pretty much your entire career with a quarterback who's very, very, very good, that's the only thing that could draw me out of retirement if I'm as banged up as Rob Gronkowski is knowing I have the chance to compete on a team with a quarterback we'll have that much chemistry with because um, otherwise you're wasting more of your body. I think Gronk, though, I think Gronk just – I think Tom Brady was great for Bill Belichick. They might have tired at the end, but I think that Brady is like Bill Belichick. Discipline, maniacal about detail, preparation, et cetera. Yep. And I think that, yeah, Bruce Arians is a nice change-up, but long-term, Tom Brady is great, much greater um, compatibility with Bill Belichick. Gronk, on the other hand, I think he had, to, I think he had to kind of repress who he, even as crazy as Gronk is, I think he had to repress who he really was with Belichick, and I think that became a mental grind for him to do that. I think that he was just willing. He wanted to play. But he wanted football to be fun. And football was no longer fun for him in New England. So I think Bruce Arians was probably the perfect coach for Gronk. But I think that Gronk would have gone to get Brady, got, would have gone with Brady anywhere that wasn't New England. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, I mean, if you've been that successful with Tom Brady and you get the chance to play with Tom Brady in a system that fits your personality, why wouldn't you say yes? It's the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Brady Farkas, Aaron Wells with you. What we're going to do now is we're going to get to our interview with Jeff Benedict, who is the author of the book called The Dynasty. It came out on the Patriots uh, in about uh, – came out, rather, the end of 2000 about the Patriots. And not so much just on Brady and Belichick, but it came it focused a lot on what happened pre-Brady and Belichick. So he was on my radio show last week. So this is last week's interview from my radio show. You're going to hear him say, enjoy the Super Bowl. We already know the Super Bowl already happened, but let's get to Jeff Benedict. Welcome back to the Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Radio Row at home. We continue on bringing you the Radio Row experience from the confines of our own studios. Very, very excited for our next guest. He's a well-renowned author and reporter. Jeff Benedict is his name. He wrote the book on the Patriots called The Dynasty that came out in the back half of 2020. Jeff, thanks for being with us. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be here with you. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I've heard great things about this book. I have the copy. It just got here, so I'm going to read it myself. But uh, the Patriots dynasty has been written on a lot. Ian O'Connor did a book. Michael Holly did a book. Why did you want to jump in and, and bring us a story that has been reported on a lot? Well, um, you know, Ian wrote, uh, actually didn't write about the dynasty. Ian wrote a, a great biography about Bill Belichick. And Michael Holly, who's actually a good friend of mine, um, has written three books about the yeah. Patriots over the years. Um, <clears throat> but those focus on different periods in the in the dynasty. What I wanted to do was tell uh, basically, basically, I, I am a biographer. And in this case, I wanted to write a biography instead of about a, a, a person, which is what we normally do. Yeah. 
This is a biography about a franchise, an organization from beginning to end. And so uh, it's it's different than what Michael set out to do. I, I thoroughly enjoyed each of Michael's books and Ian's book about Coach Belichick. But the dynasty is really a story about how is this thing built and then how is it sustained for so much longer than any of its predecessors. We've had a few other dynasties in the NFL, the Packers in the 60s, the Steelers in the 70s, the 49ers in the uh, 80s and into the very early 90s. But none of those dynasties had the staying power of the Patriots. And so I, I really set out to just understand how that happened, why it happened, and then and basically tell that story from inside the organization as opposed to as an outsider. You know, a lot of the great feedback I've read about your book does focus on the the early portions, even pre-Brady and pre-Belichick. So take me back to what it was like, you know, finding out the details on Robert Kraft buying the team and even being able to keep it in New England. Well, it, my answer to that would actually also, you know, pivot from your first question about hmm. why do the book that I did. If you think about the prior books that have been written about uh, portions of the Patriots history, none of them have focused on the Kraft family at all. Um, there have been multiple books done about Belichick and Brady, um, good ones, in fact, but no one's really looked at the ownership part of this. And I, I saw this as real fertile ground that hadn't been plowed by other journalists. And so foundationally, I think in order to understand what happened post-2000, when Brady and Belichick finally arrive in Foxborough, you really have to go back and look at all the groundwork that was laid before they got there, starting with this 15-year odyssey that Robert Kraft went on just to get the team. That alone is, is the stuff of Hollywood movies. I mean, it's the all the political machinations, the money, the, the competing with other millionaires and billionaires who were trying to get their hooks into this team, that whole process. And then there's the great... Uh, the great odyssey that Kraft goes on with Bill Parcells, um, yeah. which is this, it's the predicate to, to Belichick really, but it's such great stuff because there was um, great drama in that relationship between Kraft and Parcells without which we wouldn't have the, the great story that we have today. So while it was surely unpleasant <laughs> for both men while they were going through it in the, in the nineties, um, I think it's without that uh, toxicity and drama, you wouldn't have the greatness that came out of it. And I think that Parcells also plays a key role in the arrival of Belichick. I mean, let's face it, after all, it was Parcells who persuaded Kraft to fly out to Indianapolis in 1996 to try to convince Belichick not to go to Miami as Jimmy Johnson's defensive coordinator and instead to come to New England as an assistant coach after he'd been fired in Cleveland. That single move was monumental in terms of the history and future of the organization. Jeff Benedict, author of The Dynasty About the Patriots, here on your home for Patriots football, WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, and I'm a Patriots fan by work, right? I didn't grow up a Patriots fan, so learning this is kind of new to me also. But the famous quote from Parcells is that they want you to cook the meal, they might as well let you buy the groceries. So it seems like Parcells wanted control that he wasn't being given. Well, Belichick seems to have a whole lot of control. So does Robert Kraft deserve a lot of credit for his own personal growth in ceding some of that control as he got older? 
You know, I, that that obviously is the most famous quote attributed to Parcells in his tenure in New England. I will tell you that there are much better quotes hmm. in the book from Parcells than that one. Okay. I mean, he is a quote machine. And uh, some of the behind the scenes, they're not even conversations, they're fights uh, hmm. that he has with the crafts and with others in the organization. Um, I think really shed a lot of light on on that relationship. But yes, uh, I do think that you 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 honed in on something that's really important is that there was a a tug of war between Kraft and Parcells over control, partly because when Kraft arrived, it's it's important to remember historically where the NFL was in 1994. Mm-hmm. There were two brand new things, brand new. One was free agency and the other was a salary cap. Neither of those existed hmm. in the world that Bill Parcells grew up in in the NFL. But when, when Kraft buys the team, one of the reasons he was attracted to buying when he did was because he knew those two things were coming, and he also knew that they provided great business opportunities for him to, to do things in New England with this team. And I think what's interesting is you see a clash in cultures. Parcells is the old guard of the NFL. Kraft represents the new guard. Um, At the time, he was an unproven owner. Parcells was a proven coach. And that's this this great colossal collision that's happening in Foxborough. And it was over control. And I think one of the things that comes out of that is by the time uh, Kraft hires Belichick, he was comfortable giving Belichick uh, much more latitude and discretion to run the football side of the operation than he was in giving it to to, um, Parcells. And one of the reasons is because Belichick had demonstrated a mastery of the salary cap and a mastery of free agency. And he, you know, he proved that out in his 20 years as head coach. You know, one of the things I'm excited to read about, I think it was Peter King who referenced this angle of the book, is uh, just how dire it got for Drew Bledsoe there for a bit, um, health-wise. So we know he gets hurt, hurt enough to miss most of the season, but he comes back and plays. And because he had a fruitful career after New England, I think we all just assumed it was a season-long injury, and that was kind of it. But your book's going to tell us the story of it got very dire there for Bledsoe while he was in the hospital. Yeah, I chose to open the book in the emergency room with a surgeon leaning over Drew and making an incision in his chest um, uh, hours after the hit from Mo Lewis. Uh, The reason I opened there was a couple of things, but one of which is that medically, I think no no one really has had an appreciation for just how close Bledsoe came to losing his life that night uh, in Foxborough. I was fortunate enough to interview the surgeon who operated on Drew that night. Uh, He was a great interview. He's never done an interview before about that. And the only reason he agreed to interview with me was because uh, Drew Bledsoe gave him authorization to do so. Uh, So he didn't violate any, any, uh, any laws by talking to me. He had the permission from Drew. But the other reason I opened there was because there's something very dramatic that happens that night in the hospital at Mass General after the the surgeon was successful in stopping the internal bleeding that was causing Drew's lungs to fill up with blood, is that when he finally came to in the emergency room, which was somewhere around midnight that night, Mm. 
This was a late afternoon game against yep. the Jets. First game after 9-11. And um, <clears throat> when Bledsoe came to, uh, as you would expect, his wife, Mora, was seated to his right in the hospital. And in fact, doing what you would expect uh, her to do. She was holding his hand. She was anxious. She was waiting for him to wake up. Um, that's the expected part. What was unexpected was that when Drew looked up to his left, um, imagine now he's, he's lying on a hospital bed. So he's looking up to his left and there were three people standing over the bed on the other side. And that was in this order, uh, owner, Robert Kraft, coach Belichick and Tommy. Hmm. And uh, Drew did not expect those three people to be in the hospital when he woke up. And he's all groggy. You know, he's he's been under the influence of medication in the in the ER and all that. So you can you can sort of picture if you've ever been, you know, in a hospital in a procedure when you first come to you're not all with it anyways. And seeing those three faces there um, was very dramatic. And it's important because you think about that moment in time at that point. Robert Kraft was an owner that had never won anything. Bill Belichick had a career losing record. Yeah. You know, his record in Cleveland was bad and his record in New England for the first season was five and 11. Yeah. And, uh, and now he starts out the new season with losses. And then you got Brady who's never started an NFL game standing there. No one would imagine in that moment that what Drew was looking up at was the nucleus of the greatest dynasty in the history of the NFL. And that's why I chose to open in the hospital, because to me, that moment is the moment in terms of giving birth to what we saw happen in the last 20 years in New England. That's the moment. I'll get you out of here on this. We're pressed for time. I've heard Bledsoe do countless interviews over the years. He seems to be um, great friends with Brady and have a great respect for the Patriots. How long do you think it took him to get there mentally? Because I could understand, you know, there being some resentment at being pushed aside for a guy who hadn't accomplished much at that point. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a good question. And I think the way I would answer it, let me just say two things really quickly. First off, uh, one of the things I enjoyed most about writing this book is the interaction with all these guys, uh, all these people. And and it's not just the guys. Like, I interviewed wives when I could. Like, mm-hmm. I, I interviewed Drew's wife, Maura, multiple times. Um, there's an The reason there's an intimacy to a lot of the scenes in this book was because I, I did a lot of interviews in, in these guys' homes and in, in places where they felt comfortable getting into some of the more intimate moments in this story. This is a family story when you get right down to it. And uh, and I think Drew is an uncommon individual, as is his wife, Maura. Uh, wonderful people. I mean, Robert Kraft's been blessed to have personnel come through New England who are just really high caliber human beings. Yeah. A lot of the players who have funneled through on these rosters are the kind of people you'd want to live next door to. <laughs> and, and that's a great thing to be able to say. And so with respect to your question about Drew, let's face it, most we're all human. Most people probably would never have gotten where Drew got with regard to Tom and the organization. Um, But Drew, uh, I think, is the ultimate example of someone who put team first. And uh, he, he gets he doesn't get enough credit for the way he acted in 2001 as a guy who was standing on the sideline holding a clipboard. I mean, think about it. 
the highest paid player in the NFL that year was holding a clipboard. Wow. There just aren't many guys in the NFL that could get their ego properly adjusted to do what Drew did. And I think it just speaks a lot about his character and his wife's character, by the way, uh, for how he and, and interacted and treated Brady. Um, and it's it, it also speaks to Kraft and the way he has maintained relations over the years with all of these players, uh, many of whom have left the organization initially unhappy. Lawyer Malloy, Ty yeah. Law, Adam Vinatieri. I mean, you can just go down the line. Many of the Patriot greats left, you know, not in the best way. But if you look at those rosters, at, at those old rosters with all those great players, basically to a man, those guys are all on great terms with the Kraft family today. That just says a lot about Robert Kraft and how he how he treats the personnel that work for him. Jeff Benedict, the book is The Dynasty. He's the author. It's gotten great reviews from all sectors. Our guy Bob Sosi, Pat's broadcaster, loved it and uh, talked it up during our talks with him weekly during the season. Jeff, I can't wait to get my uh, my fingers on it. It's on my desk right now. I'm going to go read it here at some point over this weekend, I think. So, Jeff, I appreciate your time. Best of luck, continued success, and we look forward to your next work. All right. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the uh, Super Bowl this weekend. All right. I want to thank Jeff Benedict for joining us, Aaron, author of the dynasty about the Patriots. I've got a copy of it. As I said in the interview, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. Uh, I want to wrap with you on this. So I am new on Instagram. Okay. Like brand new on Instagram and uh, it feels weird, but I'm exploring it. (laughs) And I came across Cam Newton on Instagram and Mm -hmm. now I started following him. Cam Newton is already posting hype videos for the 2021 season. And his first one, which came out a couple of days ago, said something like, he's ready to get back all of what 2020 took from him. Last year, I loved Cam's hype videos. I thought it was great anticipation, great excitement, great for him to show how motivated he was. This year, pathetic is too strong a word. That That's too negative. It feels unnecessary. This feels more like it should be an offseason for Cam of, let me be quiet and let me go to work. Uh, I think in terms of PR, it's in his best interest. He had a poor 2020. He needs to show that he's committed to having a better 2021. Otherwise, mm-hmm. if the Patriots don't choose to give him another try, he's going to end up – I mean, he's almost certainly going to end up as a backup either way, but he may end up as not even a backup if he doesn't make a good case for himself. But I, maybe it's less the video as it was the caption. Maybe the caption mm. is what has done me in here. Now, Cam, he's got some song lyrics in there. He's got other things. But the line that stuck out was, some, you know, again, paraphrasing was, I'm here to get what 2020 took from me. It, what did 2020 take from him? So, I mean, 2020 sapped all of us of something. And he had COVID, and I believe that that did play an impact. But he was given a chance to start. He started all 15 games he was eligible to start, and he had a team that was completely behind him. His play was his play, whether you think it was good or bad, but Cam was given a far longer leash than any other quarterback would have been as far as I'm concerned. So I don't think that outside of what 2020 robbed of all of us, I think 2020 gave Cam a lot more than it took from him. Yeah, and it's funny because if you're going to do PR, whether you think that – 
the COVID situation caused you to have trouble in 2020, it's not the best look to say so. What you really should be like, you should be eating that and just going to work. And if you want to show people you're going to work, that's one thing. But to make excuses for last year, when, as you said, last year in terms of opportunity was a good situation for, for Cam to get back into the league and get the opportunity to start again, doesn't make a lot of sense. He did say no excuses. That was one of his other lines in there. So, you know, on both, you know, he kind of was talking out both sides of a bit. But I just think that Cam was given a lot of opportunity. I don't like Cam, and I'm rooting for him. And I, won't, yeah. I wouldn't even be opposed if Cam was back in Foxborough next year with a chance to start. You know, I want them to draft somebody, but I wouldn't be shocked. You know, I'd be fine if Cam was back. And last year I was all in on the videos and all in on the hype train. This year feels a little bit. A little bit unnecessary to me, but you're right. You know, you know, maybe the uh, just putting out that he's committed is very important. Yeah, I, but to your point, there's definitely optics around what you choose to say with those videos. I mean, uh, that it's definitely not the best look to you know <laughs> say no excuses and make what seems to be excuses. I don't think these athletes always think out their captions very well. I think that's actually a pretty common problem. All right. Well, that'll do it for us here today on the Believe in Patriots podcast. Brady Farkas, Aaron Wells. Thanks to author Jeff Benedict for joining us as well. So uh, appreciate you guys being with us. Aaron and I will be back again next week. Until then, Aaron, go Pats. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.